Hi, this is Amanda Gowan, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this week's book is by author Marisha Pessel and is called Night Film. Um, here's a bit about the author. Marisha Pessel's best-selling debut novel, Special Topics in Calamity Physics, won the John Sargent Sr. First Novel Prize, now the Center for Fiction's Flaherty Dunnun First Novel Prize. <laughs> and was selected as one of the 10 best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review. Pessel grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, and currently resides in New York City. You know, they changed the name of that prize to make it easier to read. Yeah. Jesus. I think. Okay. That's the only thing I can yeah. think of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit about, uh, a little bit about the night film. This is the synopsis we pulled from Amazon. On a damp October night, beautiful young Ashley Cordova is found dead in an abandoned warehouse in Lower Manhattan. Though her death is ruled a suicide, veteran investigative journalist Scott McGrath suspects otherwise. As he probes the strange circumstances surrounding Ashley's life and death, McGrath comes face-to-face with the legacy of her father, the legendary reclusive cult horror film director Stanislas Cordova a man who hasn't been seen in public for more than 30 years. For McGrath, another death connected to this seemingly cursed family dynasty seems more than just a coincidence, though much has been written about Cordova's dark and unsettling films. Very little is known about the man himself. Driven by revenge, curiosity, and a need for the truth, McGrath, with the aid of two strangers, is drawn deeper and deeper into Cordova's eerie, hypnotic world. The last time he got close to exposing the director, McGrath lost his marriage and his career. This time, he might lose even more. Any guesses on whether he lost even more? It's not fair. I read the book. Uh, That's true. All right. It's not fair for me to guess. So, um, I've got to tell you that uh, I was probably more excited to to read this book than I have been anything in a while. And when I say that, uh, I, a book I didn't know about. This isn't a favorite author. It's not somebody I'm familiar with. But the premise of this book, man, I don't know. And I think a little bit has to do with the fact that uh, several years ago I read a book that had a I don't want to say I don't want people to think this is a ripoff because it's certainly not, but a, a similar kind of feel. It's about a guy who's investigating a uh, a film director who's movies affect people not in the you know i got a little teary-eyed watching this but you know have a have a serious effect on people and that book was called flicker so i i found the concept so intriguing that this was man when i saw this i was like i played it cool i was like hey rob what do you think about this book what i want to say is rob we're gonna read this book this is our next book like i've got it right here this is what we're gonna do so yeah um, so very excited to uh to get into this yeah so um off the top, I just want to go ahead and say that the book is really long, um, over 600 pages, depending on what you look at, but it's a really long book, so talking about the story, I mean, we could just talk forever about it. Um, so, I guess the catalyst in the beginning, the thing that kicks things off is the death of 
uh, a girl named Ashley Cordova, who is the daughter of the famous movie director we mentioned in the synopsis. And while the death is very much appears to be a suicide, um, our guy Scott McGrath thinks otherwise um, because of his history of dealing with this family in the past. So, so that's what uh, pushes us in the direction of, of investigating the Cordova family and looking at the, the rich and <laughs> really weird history of, of uh, her Ashley's father and his films and the followers of the films. Yeah, and um, you know McGrath had spent some serious time on this, and and it, the, I guess the first thing that we should explain is that it really starts off with a, a kind of supernatural feeling um, twist to it. As uh, McGrath, and this is certainly not spoiler territory. This is chapter one. He's uh, jogging in a park, and he sees this woman, and uh, you know the way she's moving isn't quite right. And then he sees her again somewhere she couldn't possibly be because of time constraints. You know how long it took him to get somewhere. So uh, definitely kicks off with an eerie kind of supernatural feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the eerie kind of introduction to, uh, you know, that's the very eerie beginning. And then it kicks into a more subdued, regular, domestic kind of experience where um, our man Scott McGrath is, I think he's attending like some sort of, uh, you know, social event or something like that when he gets a text message about the death of Ashley Cordova from his lawyer. And that, um, you know, that, you know, inspires him to kind of leave the party early so that he can check into and look into what's going on with uh, the, this apparent suicide. So he does some basic uh, surface investigation, figures out the, the, the public details of the crime, where it happened, if, you know, more or less what happened, and uh, uh, goes to the building just to check it out to see you know what's going on and that's when he bumps into a character uh that's actually pretty prominent in the book uh named hopper yes so hopper is uh decides to join on this investigation he he knows of ashley um and decides to hop in the investigation get it hop (laughs) (laughs) but he's kind of a low-life drug dealer um involved with numerous women so that's kind of his character but he does become rather uh, invested into this this pursuit to find out what happened to Ashley Cordova. But not only do we get Hopper, we get the other, uh, McGrath's other sidekick, uh, a girl named Nora, who, for various reasons, also joins in this investigation. And uh, she's your kind of free spirit, I think is probably the best way I could sum her up, right? Um, yeah, kind of an eccentric, like she's, yeah. weird young girl. Yeah, she's like 19, but she's pretty much was was raised by uh, by a grandmother who lived in a, a, a elderly care facility. So, like all of her formative years were spent around people who were like in their <laughs> 70s and 80s. So, yeah, which is kind um, of funny. Be- oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, that's okay. I was just gonna say it's uh, you know, so she's she's a very interesting interesting character. Yeah, and it's important to note that the the character of Scott McGrath, our protagonist. Um, he's not the typical person that would just join up, join forces with random uh, people on an investigation. You get the feeling that he's a lone wolf and he's very methodical. And, and the idea of having kind of a low-life dude and an eccentric, younger, kind of free-spirited girl doesn't sit well with his 
typical character at all. So he begrudgingly allows them to help him because um, they prove to be useful enough that they might, you know, they might be helpful to the overall investigation. And, you know, more or less it's implied that he's going to keep them around as long as they're useful and then, you know, gracefully give them the boot. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, he didn't really want their help. They kind of forced themselves on him. So yeah. I guess I kind of can understand that. Yeah. So from there, we, we, we delve into the life of Ashley Cordova. So that's that's the, the other 550 pages of the book is uh, basically the three of them um, approaching different people and doing different research and through a series of, of interviews and, and you know a lot of research, they managed to piece together um, what they believe is a good a, a good look at Ashley's life um, in trying to figure out why she she uh, committed suicide. Yep, which also means um, McGrath reinvestigating or revisiting a lot of the investigation he did of of the father Stanislas Stanislas mm-hmm. Cordova. Um, so kind of running concurrently and sometimes overlapping we're seeing the history of the Cordova family and the legend of it and um, then specifically Ashley's life and things that happened in her life and um, the overall supernatural slash weird horrific uh, rumors and thoughts about what actually happens with the family because they're so incredibly secretive that um, there's very little information about the family and what's happened with them. Uh, so it's just little scraps here and there, and they have to use those as a very skeletal kind of idea of what actually you know, is a factual look at, at this family. So um, interesting um, and, and a much better investigation, uh, I think, than The Cuckoo's Calling, which we reviewed <laughs> four or five reviews ago. Um, but the the thing that really makes this book, in my opinion, and although the investigation into her life is fine, but Stan Cordova, this guy, man, uh, movie director who makes these kind of horror movies, and again, people are just changed by seeing them, and some of them you can only see in underground screenings, literally, in like L stops in in France, and that's really what made it for me was this mysterious filmmaker that had this this kind of power over people not just the the audience but over his actors and and presumably other people that worked for him and, and you know came into contact with him mm-hmm. yeah and his effect was beyond just like because when you think cult movie you think oh there's a bunch of weirdos that are obsessed with a movie that practically nobody else likes and that's a cult film but this is like secret societies and um, people who model like not model their lives but um, who are just obsessed like they're obsessed with the meaning behind the films and and they live their life based on like the principles that they glean from these movies and from, from what they've heard from the director and stuff so this is like you know borderline uh, like Charles Manson cult level uh, following and worship Oh, absolutely. There's even a, uh, a super secret forum that, you know, you can go to and, and talk about Cordova and his films with like-minded people, you know, but 
you basically have to have like earn admission to. So. Which how bad did you want that to be called the internet? <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. That's very clever. Yeah, because it's not it's not websites you can reach from the regular internet. It's on like an entirely different network or something like that. Yeah, I didn't quite get all of that, but it was kind of a cool cool concept. Yeah. So I mean, I don't even know that. I mean, I'm sure we talk a little bit more about the story, um, but. Pestle really gives us um, a variety of mediums through which to kind of like glean some of this information. So the book is peppered with uh, screenshots from the New York Times and, um, you know, articles from various magazines, like Facebook posts with likes and comments and that type of stuff. And that's all kind of like screenshotted into the book, which um, did not work terribly well on a on a kindle <laughs> um which we might talk about a little more later um, but uh kind of interesting you know so even in that 600 pages there are portions where uh it's not really a full page of text it's like a half page on my kindle you know with right. you know written in newspaper article style with a big picture but it was a, a kind of nice to to get a non-McGrath view on things. These were just articles and, like I said, you know, weird little clippings and stuff on different things. So it was kind of an interesting... Like a multimedia uh, approach? Yeah. Well, and we'll get to the other part of the multimedia. <laughs> I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, but I think that... Uh, yeah, and I think the, the idea behind that is uh, really just emphasizing the fact that um, outside of an individual uh, detective's investigation into these people... There's a lot of media coverage for for this family, and so tons of articles are written, um, yeah, and web forums, discussions, uh, lots of rumors about things and stories about how this might tie into this or this person from this movie might have done this and things like that. So um, all those multimedia elements are really exist to kind of hit you in the face with the idea that there was a very large media um, presence of this family, even though they were so secretive. Yeah, and it's not just the family that's secretive. It's uh, that nobody will talk about this guy. You know, you, you anybody who works for him has to sign these non-disclosure agreements, but the, the common belief or McGrath's belief along with his posse is that, you know, people don't talk because they're afraid right you know that he has this this power or something that he holds over them so yeah by far in in my opinion the most interesting character was the one that you know you know didn't really appear in the story is the cordova you know he's you know this mysterious figure with these powers and and definitely as i said that's reminded me a little bit of uh of flicker and uh really liked flicker and 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 for you know for at least that portion of the book i thought this was really great so you want to talk about that a little bit? The Cordova character? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about it. Everything that we hear about him is kind of speculation and rumor and gossip. And, you know, McGrath doesn't know what to believe. And at some points he believes one thing. And at some points he believes another. Um, you know, he definitely believes that uh, he wanted being a disgraced journalist because of uh, uh, Cordova setting him up. So he, he's already got kind of a bent view mm-hmm. of Cordova as uh, having almost finished his journalistic career. And here's my thought. We talked about this a little bit before with other characters and other books. Um, and I think this is kind of what she was going for with this with this Cordova character was 
the idea that the character that you don't see or you don't get a lot of information about can be one of the most fascinating. And my example for that would be from the book The Raw Shark Texts. There is um, Mycroft Ward, who does not play a very large... I'm sorry, does not take up a lot of time in the book, but by far is one of the most compelling characters I've read in, in any book in a long time. So... I think she was trying to establish that with this character, that his legend was larger than, you know, uh, possibly what he could actually be, and make him such a compelling and interesting character because of all the mystery uh, that surrounded him. That's kind of what I was going for there. Dude, I want Cordova to make the Raw Shark Text movie. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> can we get that to happen? I don't know if we can work that, um, but we can uh, we can reach out. I'll tweet at her and see what she thinks about that. Nice, um, very nice. Um, now, say, having said that about this character, I don't know how successful she was because, like, thinking of other books where they've done that, the 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 benefit to the like other examples I can think of, Mycroft Ward being one of them, is that it wasn't the goal of that character wasn't to build up a giant legend about them so I think there's almost too much attention drawn to uh, the character to build him up as as the unseen um, you know entity so I don't know how much it worked for me but I know kind of I think that's kind of what she was going for well she definitely could have trimmed 150 pages out of the Cordova legend I think (laughs) and and still had pretty solid solid book yeah for sure Um, yeah I don't know like and yeah Story-wise, not much, not much else to say. This is not a terribly action-y book. Um, a lot of it, again, is kind of interviews and uh, a pretty pretty extensive cast of characters that they talk to. It, it, it's got to be. They must interview you know, 15 different people uh, about these situations, some of them very brief, but some of them extensive that share their stories about uh, either Ashley or, or uh, Stanislas Cordova. Um, I... I I'll be honest with you, man. This this book kind of kept me guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't. I mean, I guess it probably it's probably listed under mystery and thriller. I would imagine on Amazon. But uh, or thriller, possible. I'd say mystery. Yeah, is probably more accurate. Yeah. So um, I, I'm very. You know, I, I was very happy with her ability to to kind of keep me wondering and really wanting to get to to the bottom of of what's the deal, what what really happened. Yeah, I agree. I'll agree with that. Um, and I think it was necessary, like especially when you're dealing with a detective and, and such a secretive family, to have like several options of very um, distinct uh, possibilities for what could have been the case. And um, and she did a good job of keeping believable threads of different possibilities going at all, all times. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. All right, so just really quickly going back to my, my thought about um, spending too much time on the Cordova character to make him the kind of, you know, the thing you want more of. The word Cordova. <laughs> we did say this was over a 600-page book, so bear that in mind when I say this. Mm-hmm. The word Cordova appears in the book 1,097 times. Hmm. So. I mean, obviously, that's Ashley Cordova right. and Stanislaus and anybody else in the family. But, I mean, that's like, you know, almost twice a page. Twice per page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, just by that alone, you can see how much 
is time is focused on the history of the family, what's going on with the family, who's involved with the family. So yeah, there's a lot of mention of the Cordova name. Yeah. Yeah. I Rob asked me while he was looking, and I guessed like you know three hundred, three hundred and fifty times. Yeah, I was a little, little off on that. A little bit off. So again, very, very involved story, lots of mystery, and we can't really talk about too much without spoiling key elements. But, um, um, but we're gonna. I think we should go into quotes a little bit, and then um, we'll do our wrap ups and talk about any other little thing. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, I did not browse because uh, Rob shared his uh, his quotes with me, so I want to make sure I'm not stepping all over him here. All right, so here's my uh, my first one. Um, I love to put my characters in the dark. It's only then that I can see exactly who they are. And that was a quote from a, an interview with uh, with uh, Cordova. Nice. Um, here's here's one that it's just McGrath kind of reflecting on toward the beginning of the book his particular situation where you know he had a pretty decent life a, a beautiful wife and a, a career as an invest, investigative journalist and everything and it all kind of fell apart with this investigation into Cordova and this is his reflection on that just when you think you've hit rock bottom you realize you're standing on another trapdoor I didn't know trapdoor was one word I, uh, I, I didn't either I, I remember reading that, and I don't think I actually marked it, but I did like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, McGrath talking about uh, his, uh, his failed marriage with, uh, with Cynthia. This had been one of the great enigmas of our marriage. In the 16 years we were together, Cynthia often waited for me to say something more, as if there were very specific words that would unlock her state-of-the-art vault that she was. I never came close to deciphering the combination. I love you did not work. Neither did what are you thinking or tell me what you want to hear. Yeah, I remember liking that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to read the quote and I'll explain a little bit afterwards. It's infected, the man mumbled. The story, some are, you know. And uh, the idea behind that was he was, it's McGrath reflecting on... um, his past career as an investigative journalist and thinking about how he was kind of going back into a story that had uh, previously had a devastating effect on his life. And now he was going to start investigating that same family and reflecting on the idea that, you know, this journalist he was talking to basically said that some stories are poisonous and dangerous. I thought that was kind of cool. I have to agree. Did you think there was something um, that was... (laughs) Scent eliminating clothing. What? There's a there's a portion where the where McGrath says that they purchased scent <laughs> eliminating clothing, and, and I I didn't know that was a thing. I, I meant to Google it and I didn't, and I'm not going to do it right now. But did, did were you aware there's such a thing? No, I didn't. No, I mean I remember reading that, but I don't remember putting any stock in it. I I I just assumed it was a a, a made up thing. I was aware of how shoddily stitched together the words were. Suddenly I was a kid in the hall, standing outside my locker, about to head to math. But that was how it went sometimes. The English language, when you really needed it, crumbled to clay in your mouth. That's when all the real things were said. I like that a lot. It's a conversation he's he's having with someone, and he's kind of doesn't know the right thing to say. I thought that was a great way to put it. Scent eliminating clothing is something that exists for hunting. I just looked it up. 
Nice. Can we get some scent eliminating clothing? I think there's some people we'd like to give some scent eliminating clothing to. There might be. <laughs> All right. Here's a quote. Um, McGrath is talking to his friend Beckman. It's a longtime friend of his who is somewhat of a Cordova scholar. Um, and he's talking to him about his case. And um, this is Beckman talking to McGrath. The problem with you, McGrath, said Beckman, draining the bottle into our glasses, is that you've no respect for Merck, for the blackly unexplained, the unnailed downable. You journalists bulldoze life's mysteries, ignorant of what you're so ruthlessly turning up, that you're mining for something quite powerful that, he sat back in his chair, his dark eyes meeting mine, does not want to be found, and it will not. Yeah. Anthropomorphizing ideas a lot in this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Oh, here's another just great description. Uh, it says uh, a woman is giving McGrath um, a hug. She reached up onto her tiptoes and hugged me. The girl gave the most premium of hugs. Skinny arms clamped around your neck like zip ties, bony knees bumping yours. It was like she was trying to get an indelible impression of you to take away with her forever. Yeah, I really dug that quote too. This quote made me think of a different book that we recently uh, read where a, a girl falls to her death and they don't believe it's a suicide. It's always surprising to me how ferociously the public mourned a beautiful stranger. Yeah. Kind of weird, right? It's a detective investigating what looks like a suicide where a girl falls mm -hmm. to her death and he doesn't believe it. Spoiler alert, I liked this version better. <laughs> Take notes, JK. another conversation with Beckman evil king Beckman announced officially clearing his throat he's the villain a universally terrifying character of both myth and the real world he can look outwardly repellent or totally innocuous usually it's someone in a position of great power the smarter and more conniving the evil king the more turbulent and satisfying the tempest he creates yeah there's a lot of really good moments like that in the book just really well written thoughts you know, I, I, I really like that part because it just dawned on me what that's from. Uh, Beckman, who I, I believe Rob mentioned, is kind of like a scholar on Cordova, um, has named five or six, seven, eight cats after, um, like, triggers in Cordova films. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, a certain part in Cord a Cordova film, if this happens, the next character shown is going to meet their end, you know. So right. that's, you know, and he has, like, these benchmark characters and triggers which i found just absolutely fascinating yeah that was really cool um here's one i've got it's uh i don't remember if it's uh i don't remember if it's mcgrath talking or just thinking to himself but he's uh, uh it goes secrets even in hardened criminals they were just air pockets lodged under debris at the bottom of an ocean it might take an earthquake or you scuba diving down there sifting through the sludge but their natural proclivity was always to head straight to the surface to get out like that really like the description of how secrets like people just because you know in, in the context of the book he has to try and figure things out and there's some people who are really reluctant to talk and there are other people who it it's obvious they're just dying for someone to to kind of dish something to mm -hmm. so i think that's how people are in real life i think that's a very accurate portrayal oh yeah um this next one isn't a quote so much as a very excited that uh, there was a, a mention of this cigarette that, that Cordova uses in all his films. 
I just want to tell you that if a cigarette manufacturer went out in 1930, by 1931, the cigarettes would not be worth smoking because tobacco goes bad. Wow. You just word snobbed her. Dude, seriously, I was thinking about that. I was like, if I have a pack, like I could buy a pack of cigarettes and open them up and put the first one in my mouth and be like, man, these must have been sitting in this gas station for a couple months. Like from a sealed pack, I can tell you if they're stale. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more quotes? I've got like a couple more. Um, no, I don't. All right, these are just a couple of one-offs, not really incredibly too uh, tied to the story or significant or anything, but I just liked the idea behind them. So uh, one was just him thinking about some throwaway love affair he had with someone. Making love to Aurelia was like rummaging through a card catalog in a deserted library, searching for one very obscure, little-read entry on Hungarian poetry. It was dead silent, no one gave me any direction, and nothing was where it was supposed to be. That is like... (laughs) A pretty scathing description of making love to someone. I, I mean, I, and there was a lot of good stuff like that in there, and for some reason, I just couldn't. Like you say, this, I was like, I don't understand why I didn't. I remember reading that exact line. I don't remember why I didn't highlight it. I'm, uh, I'm a little disappointed because I think that there was a lot of good writing in here that I'm not uh, going to fairly represent on the show. It's weird too because it wasn't a paper book. Um, I've just got one more that um, it's not that great of a quote, but. For some reason, it really stuck with me. Uh, throughout the book, the character Nora, who's one of the tagalongs, tagalong detectives for McGrath, um, has a pet bird named Septimus. It's a parakeet, right? Mm-hmm. And when Septimus is described, and I'm not going to try and do it justice because I don't remember, but essentially, it's like this ancient bird who's like got cataract eyes and should really just be dead. And it's been, it's gone through hell. Even in the book, it goes through some serious, you know, trauma. The bird just shouldn't exist anymore. But, um, for some reason, you know, it does. Well, see, Livius, I got the mic motorcycles now. Yep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, uh, one of the things that happens is it was a bird that was given to someone from someone, you know, a generation of like kind of giving it on to person after person until it became Nora's. And then at one point she um, gave it to McGrath. And, and this is toward the end of the book. Uh, but at one point McGrath sees Nora and she says, how is Septimus? And his, re- his response was just really quick. It was immortal as usual. And I, I don't really know why I care so much about that quote, except that, um, throughout reading the book, I kept trying to figure out the significance of this bird, and it might have just you know passed me by because I never really figured out why it needed to exist, um, other than being a plot device in a couple places. But when he mentioned when he when he referred to the bird as a myrtle as a mortal, or not a myrtle, <laughs> when he referred to the bird as a mortal. For some reason, it was like one of the most emotionally impactful parts of the book, and it was probably just me um, trying to cling on to something to like, you know, be emotionally tied to. But yeah, it was—I don't know—it just hit me a lot harder than I thought it would. So it's interesting. I think the portion that you're talking about was written emotionally very well too. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Well, yeah, I guess the the part that that takes place in is kind of a more emotional moment, so that does make sense. You mean you didn't catch the significance of Septimus, huh? All right, let me lay it out for you. Every time they um, they show Septimus in the story, they mention one of the Cordovas on the following page. <laughs> I was like, wow, there's something here. Nope. <laughs> Damn it. 
right. So the other piece that we need to talk about, I think, before we wrap it up, um, is is uh, more of the multimedia experience. So Rob and I, many many episodes ago, a couple of times talked about how eBooks uh, should be the gateway to having uh, additional content or different content. And we read the Fifty Year Sword, meh, kind of on that content. Um, this one not only gave you the kind of like screen grabs that I'd mentioned before and newspaper clippings and stuff built right into it, but, and uh, Rob read this on the iPad, so he'll have that experience for you. Um, I read this on a traditional e-read, Kindle e-ink reader, um, but there is an app, and that app is called the Night Film Decoder, and there were, there's only a handful, it's probably like five or six places throughout the book. Yeah. Um, where their little symbol would appear next to one of the pictures and you knew you could uh, whip out the decoder scan it and it would give you additional media yep that's all Rob has to say on it <laughs> I've got some thoughts on this but I thought you were going to go a little deeper okay I get, yeah I mean it's and, and not to give too much away but you know at, at one point it's a it's a a bit of music um, another time it's a it's a doctor kind of like talking into her voice recorder I guess would be the, the, the best way to explain that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then some other things like that. But it was additional content that you could certainly read the book without. Um, did it enhance the book in any way? Um, I don't know. I like that little piano piece. That was kind of nice. <laughs> kind of because I could still keep reading while I was listening to it. So, uh, All right. I was excited about the idea of unlocking content as part of a book reading uh, experience. But there's a problem with that. When you do something like that, I mean, all right, so we talk about things uh, as simple as, like, if someone writes something in one way instead of the other, it's going to take you out of the experience of the book. This is actually taking you, literally taking you out of the experience of the book um, in order to, the attempt, you know, to attempt to enhance your experience with the book. So... Anything that actually physically pulls you away from looking at those words on the page is a real risk. And uh, I mean, I might just being be being a little more over dramatic about it, but like um, interrupting the flow of the story can really impact your feel of of the book overall. I don't know if the content was really necessary. Um, I mean, obviously, and I think that's the problem. They probably made it unnecessary so that I mean, not unnecessary, but not crucial to the story so that people who didn't use the app wouldn't miss out on anything but I think maybe they should have made it more important because I could have easily read the book without it and you know basically saved myself some time and uh, you know not not had to worry so much about jumping back and forth between two devices so for me the bonus content could have been really cool but just kind of fell flat because it wasn't impactful enough to you know, make a difference. If that makes sense. I agree, and yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that was likely done on purpose. So if somebody doesn't have, you know, an app or whatever, or isn't reading it on an iPad, can't just click a link. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. You saw on the iPad. You could just. It was like hyperlinks, right? No, I sc- I scanned it. I had it on my. I have an app on my phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually thought that on a tablet, you just click the link. And you didn't. I never tried that. I mean, I guess I could, yeah. but. Um, yeah, no. Here's my thought. If the bonus content was kind of one continuous thread of something, like let's say the bonus mm-hmm. content gave us exclusive insight into 
um, this underground cult of followers of uh, Cordova, and mm-hmm. it was only something. It was so it was almost like a, a, a threaded story of these followers, and it was only available through the app. That would have been cool because I know. Oh, you know what? If I just read the book without this, I wouldn't know any of this, so I'd feel special about that. Which is going to be a good segue into another talking point we have, but um, the whale's toe letters, as we were corrected by Sean Ferguson, um, which appeared in, uh, portions of them appeared in House of Leaves. That's exactly what that was. It would send you back to read those, but it was a threaded story when you got there. Right. So, yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It's, um, it's not original, uh, well, I say that because I have a specific. The the first thing it reminded me of was a book called, um, well, a series called Level Twenty Six. Um, I only read the first one. It was by the I think it was the creator of CSI. Um, but it was this uh, the story about a a detective who has to look for this this crazed criminal, which um, a little bit like uh, um, the first season of American Horror Story, the weird contortionist gimp guy with the leather suit. Mm-hmm. It's that type of guy who's, you know, breaking into homes and murdering people. So this detective is is on, you know, following him. But there are points in the story where you would go to the website and you could watch a video, yeah. And you would see an interrogation video or a security video of this person breaking into the house. And although that was, um, at the time, I didn't have a, a, a an e device. You know, I mean, I had a computer, but it wasn't with me. I was reading paper books. So I have to, like, bookmark the pages and then watch, like, three videos if I was reading, if I was out for the day reading at a Starbucks or something, you know. So I, for me, it didn't flow quite properly. But the concept of bonus content in, in a multimedia format is certainly not, you know, exclusive or original to this particular book. Yeah. I mean, or even if it played with your perspective, like, if you're using the app, you unlock information in one way, you know, some way mm-hmm. that um, you get later on in the book. So, like, you know, maybe something you know now, McGrath doesn't know. And so you're seeing, you know, a different side of it than if you didn't know until he found out as well. Like, something like that would be cool as well if you weren't going to go with, like, mm-hmm. bonus uh, content. But the fact that she had multimedia kind of aspects to the book itself and then basically duplicated that in an app external to the book was a little redundant and not very special. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, um, a segue into another conversation, um, there's an article um, on Badass Digest um, this week that says, could Marisha Pessel's Dite film really be the new House of Leaves? Um, I guess we could talk about this. The answer is no. <laughs> I've said my piece. No. And here's the here's what I'm going to call bullshit on this article. They didn't really say yes or no. Um, having read through the article, mm-hmm. they explain the reasoning behind it. They explain their initial excitement about the idea of a book that kind of works with like a multimedia aspect and, and stuff. Um, so they talk about it. They seem a little disappointed by it. And then the article ends. Um I'm guessing they don't think it's the new House of Leaves. And I would hope not because, like, the level of complexity you see in this versus what Daniel Lewski did is just night and day. I mean, this is like a children's book compared to what he did. And and I'm sure someone can in some way call me on this, but Daniel Lewski's book was pretty goddamn original, I mean, in its concept. And, and with this book, and not to say I didn't enjoy it, but like I said, there's, you know 
people point to House of Leaves as having done similar stuff. Um, level 26 had the multimedia aspect, you know, Daniel, another, well, another Danielewski book having multimedia probably is a good example, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so we've yeah. seen this before, I guess is what I'm saying. And yeah. The fact that it's like, uh, you know, it, it's almost like saying that, you know, two movies are the same because they both have the same actor in them. Right. You know what I mean? Is this the new whatever because Will Smith is in this comedy where he was in, you know, this action movie? Um, Daniel yeah. Lewski's book was, was you know, it is frequently called the most frightening book ever written. Um, you know, has hordes and legions of followers that to this day still try to pick apart pieces of it for more information, you know. And Nightfield being what it is, a good novel, uh, it's not it's not going to lead anybody to second, third, fourth read throughs to look for, for, for anything else. If it was, I mean, if it, it emulated anything, it'd probably be closer to, or more in the spirit of like the raw shark texts. Um, Stephen Hall did a thing where he wrote for every chapter in the raw shark text, there's 36 chapters. There's an unchapter. Um, which essentially exists outside of the book, uh, not necessarily in any one place, just kind of scattered throughout the world. And, um, you know, it was up to people to find them, but they all kind of exist. I mean, it was basically the, un- like the, it was basically more story about what was in the book, almost like bonus content. And, uh, so in that way, having content relevant to the book, is more like what um, the night film was kind of doing with having just other stories and stuff in this app. Um, but again, falls far short of what uh, Stephen Hall was able to accomplish with the raw shark text. I do want to read this one line from the, uh, from uh, Scott Wampler who wrote this article and he's, and he basically said the same thing. He said, uh, uh, just because a book has a similar layout to another doesn't mean those books are going to make frequently engaging and or quality reads. Any ass clown with a penchant for scrapbooking could churn out a novel that looks a lot like House of Leaves, but at the end of the day, House of Leaves was a hell of a lot more than 700 pages worth of flashy good looks. Yeah, that pretty much says it perfect. So, so don't compare it to House of Leaves. House of Leaves, brilliant, original. Uh, this book um, is a, a good book. On that note, what do you think about doing some wrap-ups? All right. Uh, I think you had my wrap-up there. Um, the book had an excellent concept. Uh, it had a, what I thought to be interesting characters. I did catch a conversation on Facebook, sorry, <laughs> where somebody was really upset with the fact that McGrath was kind of like racist and a homophobe. Really? Yeah. Did you catch any of that in the book? I caught a little bit of the homophobia, but someone was like, there was no reason for this, so I'm just, I'm done reading it. There, there was nothing to further the story out of his homophobia and racism. Wow, nope, I missed it. Yeah. So, uh, at any rate, um, I liked the characters. Um, maybe that's one of the things I liked about McGrath, is he seemed like a very real kind of guy with real problems and real attitudes towards things. Um, he definitely wasn't in this for the, the noble um, cause of, of, of helping or, or find out about a, a girl who's dead. You know, he kind of had his own revenge motive. Um, the writing was good, probably better than I was able to indicate through the few quotes I managed to, to, to highlight. Um, but man, concept goes a long way with me. So a book with a great concept uh, weighs a, a, a lot better or weighs a lot more to me than, a, you know, a, a book with a great story 
with a kind of crappy concept, if that makes sense. Does that make any sense? Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I did get a little bored about 75% in. There's the one really strong action-y part of the book that went on for a little too long, although I appreciate what the author was doing. Um, she could have done that in probably about 30 less pages, I think, and gotten the same the same bang for the buck. <laughs> um, that's going to leave it at four stars for me. I did take a screenshot on my iPad of the part where it said 75 pages left in this chapter. <laughs> Is that the chapter I was talking about? Is yeah. That, yeah. At, at the peak? Yes. Yes. All right, so um, here's what I got. Uh, enjoyed the characters. I thought overall as a story, um, solidly written. There wasn't really too many. There wasn't really too many problems with the plot. Um, introduced a lot of different interesting concepts. Uh, there was kind of a I'm trying to think of the right word. A dichotomy of, of supernatural versus, you know, uh, science uh, kind of weave throughout the woven throughout the book. And a lot of the concepts she introduced were re- exciting to me. And I wanted to see where she went with it. And I think that she just didn't do any of them really enough justice. Uh, <sighs> I'm struggling with this because I want to like the book and I just, I think there's too many things that were put in there that are disappointing. Um, Cordova would have been much better served to be, um, more of a, like his presence being the absence. Um, she tried to do that and it just didn't work because I mean, it pretty much, they constantly talked about this guy and uh, we didn't talk about this at all, but I think the ending was like horribly disappointing, and um, I mean, I know what she was going for, and I know why she did it, and it makes sense, and it actually makes a lot of sense considering some of the bigger characters. But at the same time, it just didn't work for me, and um, I don't know. Overall, I really wanted to like the book, and I think I do like it, but not enough to, I don't know, not enough to really highly recommend it. It just um, she could have done so much better of a job of, you know, focusing on one or two elements and fleshing them out or working them in a different way that would have made it more exciting or more compelling. And she just didn't do that. So I think I'm going to surprise even Livia's with this. I'm about two and a half stars on this. Wow! I didn't think we'd be split that far on this one. Yeah. All right. So that's enough talking about someone else's book. Now that we've made a book, we have the option to just decide to talk about that instead, right? Yeah, spend a couple, three, four, just straight episodes doing nothing but talking about this bad boy. Which we could do, but really we have something important <laughs> to share, right? I mean, we have, we have actual information. Yeah, um, in in the we figured out. So, uh, being fledgling publishers, we realize that there are just constant struggles with uh, distribution that we're facing. So, at the time, we're getting a lot of people who are looking for. Uh, EPUBs of the book so they can use it on their nooks and their iPads and stuff like that and we don't have it in the Barnes & Noble store as a nook book just yet and we don't have it in iBooks so uh, we found a way to take care of that there is indeed Rob found a way to take care of that I Rob. have nothing to do with this <laughs> yeah the royal we um, 
Uh, now we have a, actually a storefront on our website. So if you go to bookedpodcast.com, in the upper right-hand corner, you're going to see a little red tab that says Booked Store, I believe, because I'm so mm-hmm. clever. It does. And if you click on that, it takes you to a little storefront that gives the option to buy our books in EPUB, Mobi, or PDF format. That's right. We <laughs> broke down. We succumb to the pressures of the rest of the world living in their the 1970s on their uh, on their computers that only read PDFs. Yeah, I mean, and, and it comes down to this. I decided I'd rather hate you and have your money than just hate you. So, and there it is, and that's what it really comes down to. <laughs> so, PDFs, EPUBs, and uh, Mobies of the booked anthology mm-hmm. are all available directly from our website uh, for the stunningly. Uh, predictable price of seven ninety nine, which is what we uh, are charging for the uh, ebook over on Amazon. Yep. Don't be confused by the anthology page that still says it's nine ninety nine. That's for everybody else. For you guys, seven ninety nine through the bookstore or at Amazon dot com. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should um, update that, huh? Advantages to buying the ebook, uh, other than um, that you don't have to read a paper book. Um, two additional, two additional stories. One. Guy named Rob Olson has a story in there, and Pelavia, the editor, also a story in there. Both original stories, both exclusive, not just to the book anthology, but to the book anthology ebook. That's right. PDF. I'm not going to say that um, that I think it's the case, but there's a possibility that the anthology winner could be one of the publisher's stories. <laughs> it's uh, it's possible. Here's another bonus to buying the ebook. It delivers immediately, and by immediately, I mean within like an hour or two. Yeah, as soon as as soon as one of us gets the email and goes, "Oh yeah, how do I do this again?" Yeah, yeah and sends it. But so instead of waiting for something to show up in your mailbox, wait for it to show up in your inbox, buddy. Seven ninety nine. Buy the go. book anthology. It's coming right to you. You get the two extra stories, and um, because we're not going through some evil distributor, a lot more money goes right back to booked to uh, um, pile up and go towards charities and stuff. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, actually, to get us out of the hole we've dug ourselves in currently. <laughs> to get us out of book starts. Down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, speaking of books, um, after, I want to specify after um, you purchase a copy of the book anthology, uh, visit our friends over at Thunderdome. Cypher Sisters is out. You can purchase the um, physical version currently with the ebook version to follow when Rob? Soon. Soon. It's our favorite word. Um, I'm assuming that because we uh, we recommended that you did, um, you all contributed to their Indiegogo and mm-hmm. and are waiting for your uh, copies to arrive, like I am already. I'm assuming that Dude, happened. that guy honking outside your place might be delivering your book. That guy might be delivering my book. If that's not the case, yeah, definitely go and and buy a copy of the book. It's going to be it, it. It's if you like. The authors that you see in the book anthology, Warmed and Bound, or a bunch of other stuff that we've mentioned on the podcast, definitely check out Cypher Sisters. Yes, yes, yes. All right, I've got one other one other um, piece of business to discuss. So over the last couple episodes, we talked about how uh, I managed to lose a uh, ARC copy of Big Egos. Can I interrupt you? Sure. Did you ever look at my post for when we reviewed Big Egos on the website? I uh, no. Can I ask you to do that right now while we're recording? Yes. <laughs> I never got a response from you about this thing I did, and I. <laughs> well, I would 
explain why. Uh, let's see. Hey, look, we have a booked store on here. When did that happen? Hey, nice. <laughs> this is hilarious. Um, all right, so I'm not even going to talk about it. Go to the book page. Go look at the big egos. This just totally cracked me up. Um, all right. So here's what happened. Uh, through Scott Brown, who, who was nice enough to send us this art copy, Rob knows I'm a huge S.G. Brown fan. Let me keep it. It was signed to Booked, which is just awesome. It was going in my pile of signed books. I managed to uh, misplace it, um, which uh, translation, I'm pretty sure someone stole it because it's still gone. Yeah. Um, but I happened, uh, Mr. Brown had posted that uh, a website called appraisingpages.com was uh, was giving away an arc. And I thought, yeah, what the hell? You know, we tried giving away books before. How many people could possibly enter one of these things? <laughs> um, so I, I did, and uh, I, I won. I won. So um, I, I got my book. It's an advanced reader copy. It is not signed. But more importantly, now Rob, I think at this point, may have already figured out what I was actually doing here. You know what I was doing here, right? What? I thought maybe they're the ones that stole my book. <laughs> so <laughs> I did check. It is not signed, and it is not signed to booked. So um, uh, to the, the ladies at Appraising Pages, I, I'm sorry that I thought you were thieves and stole my book. <laughs> But really what I wanted to say is I wanted to thank Amanda Liston and Justine Brooks at appraisingpages.com, uh, a variety of literary content over there for you to go and peruse. And and they seem to do um, quite a few giveaways because they've already moved on to giving away something else. So it's definitely a website I'm going to add to my uh, queue of websites to check regularly. Um, but dude, not only, not only. So not only they send me a book, but I got to tell you, if you and I are ever in... Uh, I think, man, I think this might be Arizona, but there's not actually a city and state listed on here. They included inside the book one free 30-minute massage or express facial from Valley Med Spa. <laughs> so I got to tell you, if you and I are ever there, um, I'm going to give this to you since I have the book. Wow, they spammed you. Yeah, I'm thinking what it was was they, they read it and this was the bookmark. <laughs> But so, uh, uh, was it Amanda and Justine? Um, if you want uh, this uh, thirty-minute massager facial coupon back, not happening. I have to look up what an express facial is. Yeah, you should do that. Let's find out what that is. Express facial treatments. All right, here we go. Uh, thirty minutes. All right, let's see. I'm gonna look for a definition. The etymology. <laughs> Are there Mayans? A brief version of the classic European facial. The express or mini facial is great for in-between facials or when you just need a good deep cleansing. So if you're, so if you're like, <laughs> let's say I got a facial and I knew that I have scheduled my other facial, but I'm thinking, you know what? I need kind of a, a pick-me-up. I guess that's mm -hmm. what a, a, an express facial is. Well, you've got one coming, buddy. <laughs> Compliments of me and the fine ladies at Appraising Pages. Com. So I get that, right? Because you lost what a book that I technically yeah. co-own. Yep. Yep. All right. So I get to keep the book, which I'll have Scott Brown sign at some point when we're on the West Coast or he makes his way to Chicago. <laughs> you get a facial. Express. Quick one. Not even a full facial. 
Nope. Wow. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get at this point. All right. Um, next time, um, we'll be reviewing... We're going back to the Stephen Graham Jones uh, pool again for zombie sharks with metal teeth. I say that I pool say is Rob full is, of sharks. Uh, yeah. I started this today. Holy shit. That's all I have to say. Nice. I can't wait. I can't wait to get. I can't wait to sink my metal teeth into it. Very nice. Jaws. Boom. But Jaws from the the, the James Bond movies. He had the metal teeth. <laughs> Which is funny because of the shark. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Badooms. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Livia Stedden. and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. 